0: All right, how's everybody doing? If you'll be uh, opening your Bibles, we're going to be looking in Philemon tonight. We're going to hopefully finish up this book. I started it while Pastor was gone on his trip, and hopefully we can finish it off tonight. All right, Philemon. If you're looking in your bulletin, once again, remind you, I saw some of your faces when you walked in. 19 to 25, that's not chapters. Philemon's only one chapter, so don't start freaking out on me yet. I saw some people they were like, oh my goodness, who's preaching tonight? This can't be Pastor." All right, so Philemon, we're going to be looking at verses 19 through verse 25, right through the end of the chapter. Now Philemon is the shortest and most personal letter written by Paul. It was written during his first imprisonment in Rome, and Philemon is really the main recipient of the book. Although, the, if you look at the first few verses of Philemon, you see that it's actually addressed to several people. You have people like Aphia, which is the wife of Philemon. You have Archippus, who is the son. And he also addresses the church. And I think that this is a really important concept because what he's telling them is that, you know, when you really, when you injure somebody that's a family member, you've really injured the whole family, haven't you? When you've offended one person, you've offended many of them. And basically what Paul is going to do is he's going to address Philemon and tell him, you really need to work on this this idea of forgiving Onesimus, who was his runaway slave. Now, Philemon is a very wealthy man. He had a church in the city of Colossae, which was really close to Laodicea. It was about 100 miles inland from the city of Ephesus. And to kind of give you somewhat of an idea of where the city of Colossae is located, it's on the west coast of modern-day Turkey. Paul had led Philemon to Christ while Paul had established his ministry in the city of Ephesus. We know Paul spent about three years there, so somewhere during the course of his ministry there, he leads Philemon to Christ. Well, Philemon, being a wealthy man, he owns a slave by the name of Onesimus. Onesimus, more than anything else, he wanted to have his freedom. So he stole from his his owner uh, some kind of material possessions, and he began to run away all the way to the city of Rome that had a population of about 2 million people. That's a huge city. And so as he goes into this city, he happens, by God's grace and by God's sovereignty, he runs into the Apostle Paul of all people, the one that had led his owner to Christ. And he, when he runs across Paul, Paul basically, through his ministry, through giving the gospel, Onesimus comes to faith in Christ. Incredible story. Basically what happens from there is that Onesimus sits underneath the teaching ministry of Paul for a while. We don't know how long it was. But he begins to get convicted about some things in his past. He he has this feeling that he's done something wrong to another brother in Christ. He he wasn't saved before, but now since he's come to faith in Christ, he has that feeling that he needs to do something to make it right with his former owner. And so he does the most difficult thing a person could have done in that day. He starts the long journey all the way from the city of Rome to return back to the city of Colossae. Imagine how difficult that would be. In those days... When you've stolen from your master, it could be death for you. That is a capital offense. And basically, even if he chose not to to kill him on the spot, he had the ability to be able to brand his forehead with an F, stating that he was a criminal. He would never be trusted for the rest of his life. And so we see the fact that Onesimus is willing to pack up his stuff And he's willing to journey all the way to the city of Colossae proves what? He's very repentant about what he's done, right? He doesn't have any excuses. He doesn't say, oh, well, that was my former life. He goes back with the idea implanted in his heart. I want to make something right that I've done wrong. I want to be made right with my brother in Christ. Paul's task wasn't going to be easy. He was going to write a letter... On behalf of this former slave, and he was going to ask Philemon to do a very difficult thing. The one that had injured him, the one that had stolen from him. He's going to ask him to accept him back, not just as a slave, but to accept him back as a brother in Christ. You understand that this idea of forgiveness is very contrary to our society, isn't it? We live in a society, if you wrong somebody, they want you to... You want you to take out revenge on them, to be a person that holds on to it and that will never forget what somebody's done to you. But because of the gospel, when Christ forgave you, he calls you also to in turn to forgive other people that have wronged you. It's a picture of the gospel. You see, in that time, Paul's task, it was going to be very difficult because the Roman world accepted slavery. It was just a part of their culture. One one commentator wrote this. He said, Two or three years before Paul wrote to Philemon, there was a slave who had killed his master, a Roman senator. The law demanded that when this happened, all the slaves of that household would be executed along with the one that did it. This senator had over 400 slaves. The populace tried to intervene on behalf of all of these different slaves, but the Roman Senate held a special hearing and decided that the law had to be carried out. And all 400 of those slaves were executed because he had killed his master. Now that was the time period that Paul is writing in. He had absolutely no rights to his own life. And he's going to approach this person that he's done wrong and he's going to ask for him to forgive him. If Paul could persuade Philemon to forgive this slave who had wronged him and even more accept him as a brother in Christ, the word would spread like wildfire. People in the city of Colossae would literally be coming and saying, how in the world is this former slave of Philemon going to be accepted back? What is it that's happened with this group that they would accept a former slave to steal from his master and everybody would want to know what's different about this man named Philemon. And people would immediately say, well, he's a follower of Jesus Christ who taught his followers that they were to love one another, that they were to forgive each other even when it was difficult. And I want you to picture with me what that was going to do. It was going to give people the opportunity to see the gospel illustrated in everyday life. And folks, as we go through the book of Philemon, that's what we have in front of us. The idea behind forgiveness is this. Is every time you choose to forgive, you choose to paint a portrait of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What Jesus Christ did for you. That's exactly what we see in this passage. The potential for the gospel and for God to get glory in every situation. When a believer chooses to forgive someone that's wronged them. God gets glory from it. It's a powerful thing when it's experienced, isn't it? It's no different today. The world's watching us as believers, right? They want to know at the end of the day, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, how are you going to respond when it's difficult? It's easy to go to a church service on Sunday. It's easy to talk really well and to sing the songs. But at the end of the day, what has happened in your life? When somebody wrongs you, are you able to in turn to give them the forgiveness that Christ gave you when you wronged him? Does following Christ make a difference in how you work through problems? Now, what's interesting about this book is that the word forgiveness is never used, never used in the entire book. Does that blow your mind? It's almost like Paul is saying to us is that forgiveness is better modeled than it is talked about. He's going to say that at the end of the day, you want to know what forgiveness looks like? This is the picture of forgiveness. Forgiveness. And Philemon is going to model it for us. Now, just to kind of review for us, because it's been several weeks since we've been in this passage, kind of give you a breakdown. Verses 4 through 7 teaches about the character of one who forgives. The character. Then you go along in verses 8 through 18, teaches about the action of a person who forgives. Now we're coming into the last section. And what I want us to look at tonight is this. The final section is about the motives of somebody that forgives. Why is it that a person chooses to forgive another person that's wronged them? What is it that drives them? Because let's face it, to choose to forgive is something that's supernatural. It's not a natural response when somebody has wronged you. Would you agree with that? It's not a natural response. Everything inside of you wants to take out revenge, but Christ calls you to something different. Probably the best picture of this is illustrated, uh, a human example of this is is by a, a woman by the name of Elizabeth Elliot. That name probably rings a bell for many of you. Her husband, Jim Elliot, and four other men were missionaries in Ecuador. They had attempted to establish contact with violent Aka people, who were about six out of ten adult deaths were by homicide by spearing. That's what happened in their culture. Thinking that they had already established trust with the people they were trying to reach, they decided that they wanted to land their plane on the beach and come in to be able to present the gospel to these people. On January 8th, 1956, all of the missionaries were attacked and were murdered on that beachside, violently, in the middle of such dark, brutal deaths, God was going to allow the world to witness something that was amazing: what forgiveness can do. Two years later, Elizabeth Elliot and Rachel St they went to live their lives with that tribe. They studied the language, they, they learned the culture, and they demonstrated forgiveness to the ones that had murdered their husbands. As a result, they were able to share the greatest story of forgiveness, Christ's death on the cross. And as a result of their forgiveness and going to work among these people again, there were countless people that were converted. But it all started with what? Forgiveness, choosing to forgive. And here's the deal, that as we look at this tonight, what is it that inspires somebody to forgive somebody else? Would you agree with me? We've all struggled at times. To forgive. We all struggle with it. And just because you chose to forgive somebody yesterday doesn't mean that come today, it's not going to come back up in your thoughts. You have to choose each day to live out that forgiveness and choose again that you're going to forgive them for what they did because it'll come back up again. So what inspires us? What motivates us to forgive? Let's look at the very first thing is this recognize that you owe a debt you can't pay. Recognize you owe a debt that you can't pay. Let's look at verse 19. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. Now, I want us to just stop right there at that point. Paul's custom was to dictate his letters to a amanuensis. You're like, what's an amanuensis? I've never heard of that. That's basically a secretary. That's a person that would, as Paul would dictate, as he would speak, this secretary would write out the words that were spoken by Paul. It was Paul's custom that as he would close out a letter, he would have that person step to the side and Paul would pick up the quill and he would begin to finish off the letter that that secretary had been writing. He did that in the book of Colossians. He also does it in this book. But this is the thing I want you to think about. Why is it that at this section, at this point, Paul tells the secretary to step to the side? The reason why is there's something very important that Paul has to say to Philemon. I love this part. Look at it, verse 19 again. He says, I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. What's he saying? He's saying it's almost like there's a ledger here. I I know that he owes you, but I want you to put it on my account. Look back at verse 18. He says, If he hath wronged thee or oweth thee ought, what what does it say? Put that on mine account. Paul knows that at the end of the day, Onesimus, what what is his occupation? He's a slave. Does he have a way to pay back Philemon for what he's taken from him? He has absolutely nothing. He has no job. He ran away from his job. He's living in Rome. He has no way to pay the loss of a slave, to pay back the items that he had taken. He doesn't have money. It has to be made right. There has to be somebody that's willing to pay back what he took from him. And what Paul is saying is, put it on my account. It's like he's offering him an IOU. And he's saying, whatever it is that he owes you, I'll be the one that will pay it back for him. He's writing his name on his account. And what do you think that's a picture of? Who does that sound like? It sounds like Jesus Christ, right? He took all of everything that you owed and he wrote his name on it. When he said the words, it is finished, right? Paid in full. That's exactly what Paul is modeling in this passage. He's saying, put it on my account. I'm writing my name on everything that he owes you. Well, How's Paul going to pay it back? Well, Paul had some churches that supported him. He's going to take what money he had. And he was going to take it and pay back. Now, I want you to look at what he says. Verse 19, it says, Albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. Let me just put that in common day vernacular. What he's saying, uh, I know that that Onesimus, he he, he owes you money. But uh, I don't really want to mention it to you, but you also owe me. You also owe me. You're like, well, what does that mean? What's he saying? You owe a greater debt than what Onesimus owes you. You're sitting there thinking, how in the world does he owe a debt that's greater than Onesimus? Onesimus is the one, he stole the money. He's the one that took everything and he, he ran off to Rome. How is it that, that Philemon owes a greater debt than Onesimus? He's saying that you, Philemon, you have a debt that's unpayable. Onesimus owes a material debt. Philemon owes a spiritual debt. Are you following me? Onesimus' debt is temporal. Philemon's debt is an eternal debt. Why? Because Paul, through his ministry, had led Philemon to Christ. What kind of value, what kind of monetary value can you put on something that somebody's done that has led you to Jesus Christ? How could you ever repay that person? And when someone has wronged you and they've indebted you, remember that though you owe uh, remember though that you owe unpayable debts to others who have benefited you with incredible blessings. You don't demand uh, that don't demand a payment from you. You couldn't even pay it if other people called you to pay for it. Paul's point is this: Can't you forgive people for their temporal debt when you owe a greater spiritual debt? Let me illustrate it for you. I I can remember working in Thailand. Uh, I know we had visitors that would come and see us. and When people would come into our church, our services are a little bit different in in, in Thailand. Basically, what would happen is after the service, we all eat lunch together inside of our, our sanctuary where we have our service. Weird things would happen. People always ask me this question. They always set up a table and they always brought the food to my table first. I never asked for the, I've, as a matter of fact, I told them several times, guys, you are never to serve me my food first. I don't want it to happen. It shouldn't happen. I should be the last one through the line. Not only that, but after the services, we would switch off months where guys and girls, they would go out and wash the dishes afterwards. Every single time I stepped outside to wash dishes, they were like, oh, no, 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 no. You can't wash the dishes. And I said, oh, yes, 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 I can. And you know what the reason why they did that? If you, get, if you boiled it down to it, why is it that you guys act that way? They had this overwhelming sense that they were indebted to somebody that had come over to their country to give them the gospel. And that was their way to say thank you because we, you, we owe you a debt we could never pay back. And here's the deal guys is that if we're going to be motivated to forgive other people we have to first understand that we owe an unpayable debt. And until you come to that picture you'll never be willing to ever to forgive anybody else. We're in debt to so many people, aren't we? I think in my own life I'm in debt to my parents. They sacrificed, they taught me about Jesus Christ, they taught me the Bible, they sacrificed so that I could get through school. I have a wife, we've been married 13 years, come tomorrow, she's had to put up with a whole lot. And, And here's the deal, I owe unpayable debts that I could never pay back to all the people that have impacted my life, whether they be pastors or teachers or other people. And you'll never forgive unless you understand that you yourself have an immense debt that you could never pay back. So what's Paul telling Philemon? Your debt is greater than Onesimus' because your debt is an eternal debt. And here's what, when you boil it down to it, it comes to this. Our lives should overflow with grace because we have received so much grace that we can't help or withhold grace from another person. Can we say amen to that? We have been graced by God to be in the place where we're at and been graced by so many people that we can't help but to pour out grace and forgiveness to other people because we ourselves are also debtors. That's the story of Philemon. That's the first motivation. The second thing is this. Recognize that you can become a blessing to others. Recognize that you can become a blessing to others. Look at verse 20. He says, Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. That's kind of a weird saying. You're like, what does that mean? He, he, my bowels. That doesn't, I mean, that's just painting some bad pictures, right? bows for the Jewish person, that's like the heart for us, okay? He says, refresh my heart in the Lord. That's basically what he's saying. Let me be blessed. Let me profit. Let me be benefited by your action of forgiving your brother in Christ. Well, what does that mean? How is that going to benefit Paul? Well, it would give him joy in the Lord. It would be refreshing to him to know that two fellow believers in Christ have nothing between them, that they're able to overcome the problems that exist in between their relationship. And basically, why is he talking about joy? And I really want us to hone in on this for just one second because this is a big problem in churches as well. Whenever there's division and discord between people, it drains the church of joy. Division is a joy robber. When there's fighting between people in church, it drains the church of joy. Would you agree with that? And we all know what that's like, right? We've either, either we've witnessed it, we've been a part of it, we've seen examples of it, but Paul is calling out to Philemon, don't rob people of the joy that we have by fighting with each other because that just creates division in the church. It drains people. I think we could all uh, amen to that, couldn't we? Well, why is Paul specifically mentioning joy? Well, it's the same word joy you find in Philippians chapter 2. I want us to read this passage. Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, he says, Fulfill ye my joy. Well, how do you do that, Paul? Look at verses 2 through 3. That ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. You see all those ones that he's throwing out there? Verse 3, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, Let each esteem other better than themselves. He's saying, if you will humble yourself and consider Onesimus is more important than yourself, if you seek unity and love and fellowship and choose to forgive, you're going to bring joy into my life. And can I say at the end of the day, doesn't that bring joy when two people that have had an issue with each other and they make things right with each other, man, that brings such unity within the church. That's so powerful. That's what the church, that's what the world needs to see, right? We live in a world that creates division. Just watch the news. How many things are about racial tensions? Right? That the news media they use different stories in in order to do what? In order to divide everybody. And in the church it ought to be different, shouldn't it? And Paul's saying, fulfill my joy by humbling yourself. Don't make everything about you. Isn't that the reason why we don't forgive? Is a lot of times it's an issue of pride. Right? We just don't want to let go of what they've done to us. You just can't forget about what they said to us. And because we hold on to our pride, we bring a whole lot of division not only to ourselves but to the people around us. There's So many stories of church splits, of fighting over the stupidest things. Right? And it drains everybody around it. Christ calls us to forgiveness. The reason why Paul says that it's refreshing, he says, Refresh my bowels in the Lord, refresh my heart in the Lord. What's he saying? It's like cold water on a hot day. When people choose to forgive. Why? Because it's so rare. There's not very many people that we run into. That are willing to overlook an offense. As a matter of fact. It's far more common place. For us to find people that choose not to forgive. That choose to hold on to offenses. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs 19 verse 11. The discretion of a man deferreth his anger. And it is his glory to pass over a transgression. It's his glory to do what? To pass it over. Paul loved unity. And here's the deal. If Philemon chose not to forgive, it was going to create a division. And that's why Paul says this. You have to recognize that you can be either a blessing, a person that brings unity to other people, or you can be a person that divides other people. And here's the deal. Inside the church, you choose. What you want to do, you can't do in isolation. That's what he's saying. Although it's a, a personal decision that you have to make, it has public consequences. It has public consequences. Interestingly, we look at the third part as this. The third motivation... For forgiveness is this. Recognize that you are called to be obedient. At the end of the day, that's what Christ calls you to. Let's look at verse 21. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also, what? Do more than I say. Paul's saying, I know that you'll obey this. I'm confident of it. Now, uh, what we have to make very clear is he's not talking about being obedient to Paul. Right? If you look back in verse 8, notice that Paul never commanded him to forgive Onesimus. He never commanded it. That's an interesting thought because uh, did Paul have the ability to be able to command it? Yes or no? Yes, he did. He was an apostle. But he said, I would rather appeal to you out of love that you would choose the better path, that you would choose the better road. Because first and foremost, this is what we have to understand. Obedience is not a matter of of personal uh, preference. As much as our society likes to tell us that. Obedience is a matter, or forgiveness is a matter of obedience Uh, You can hear people even begin to complain about that, right? They say, well, if you only knew what they said to me, if you only knew what they did to me, you wouldn't say that I had to forgive them. Well, the fact of the matter is, is the question is not do I forgive, But, but choosing to forgive when the occasion arises. That's the only question we have, is when do we face it? And when we face it, we must choose to forgive. You are to forgive because Christ expects it out of you. You remember when Peter came to Jesus, and he said, uh, "Master, how many times do we have to forgive? Seven times." And what did Jesus say? No, seven times seventy. What is that saying? He's saying you're to forgive always. You're always to choose to forgive. That's why Ephesians chapter four, verse thirty-two says, "And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven." You. That's a really powerful verse, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, if you've accepted forgiveness from Jesus Christ and you've put your faith in Him, you're automatically as a child of God called to return the same forgiveness to other people that you've received from Jesus Christ yourself. Look at verse 21. Notice what he says. Knowing that thou will also do more than I say. What do you think he means by that? What do you mean he's going to do more? There's some commentators, they, they think that that means he's going to free him from being a slave. I personally, I don't, I don't agree with that. I think that it means he's going to go beyond just forgiving the debt because here's the deal. You have to understand that Onesimus is a very valuable person. You remember we talked about Onesimus' name means useful. And Paul had played on his name earlier in the chapter and had basically said this. The guy that used to be useless, he's playing on his name, is now what? Useful. And I believe personally when he says, I know you're going to do more for him than even what I'm calling you to do. I believe what it comes down to is Paul was going to use him in ministry. He had gotten valuable training from sitting at the side of the Apostle Paul. Would you agree with that? Why would you just, you know, get him back into those everyday, you know, routine of what he did before when he was valuable to Paul? And Paul's saying, this guy's valuable. I know you're going to do more with him than even what I'm even asking of you. It's a powerful thing. You see, the reason why the motivation behind obedience is important is this, and this is an important part. In obedience, we find freedom. Every time you choose to do things God's way, you find that at the end of it, it leads to blessing. You won't have that feeling leading into it. It's only when you act out in faith and belief in God's word and entrusting what God's word teaches that you'll find at the end you found a freedom you could have never experienced otherwise. God never created you to carry grudges. Are you listening? When you carry grudges and grievances, guess what you're doing? You're carrying something that you can't carry. As we've discussed before, it's like drinking poison expecting the other person to die. It doesn't happen. But how many times do we cling to it? And I'll never forget. I'll never let go of what they said to me. Well, you're choosing to carry something that you can't carry. So, this third motivation is out of obedience. And you find the blessing after you've acted out in faith, not before. Let's look at the fourth thing. We're going to move along quickly. The fourth thing is this. Recognize that I am not alone, but I'm accountable to a fellowship. I want to say that again. Recognize you're not alone. You are accountable to a fellowship. Now, that fellowship includes, first of all, godly leadership. God has put godly leaders into your life that will be able to speak the truth to you in love. Isn't that what we need in churches, right? And that's the problem in our day is that we have a lot of pastors in a lot of places that aren't willing to speak the truth that people need to hear. Thank God we're at a church where the Bible's taught. But I want you to see this. Look at verse 22. Look at what he says. But withal, prepare me also a lodge, for I trust that through your prayers, what? I shall be given unto you. What's Paul saying? It's my hope that one day I'm going to come visit you. Why do you think he's telling him that? It's interesting that he's closing the letter with this, right? He's saying, oh, by the way, Philemon, uh, I'm hoping that God will release me from prison. And when I do, I'm going to make a special trip to the city of Colossae to check and see how things are going. Now, you think he's just doing that out of friendship? Now, I think that's a part of it. He loved the people in the city of Colossae. But understand this. What he was saying is that when I come to your city, I'm going to be checking up on you. And I'm going to be seeing if you followed through with what Christ called you to do in forgiving your brother Onesimus. It's an interesting thing. Paul did this several times throughout the the New Testament. He did it in 1 Corinthians. He did it again in 2 Corinthians. The point is, is that I'm going to be following up on you. You need to have oversight. You need to have ones that are looking out for you. Or look at what he says, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. Paul was uh, optimistic, wasn't he? He wasn't free yet. He's still in prison. And he's saying, it's still my prayer that I'm going to be released one day. And if Philemon knows that Paul's going to be coming, do you think it's going to affect the way that he treats Onesimus? It's going to affect the way that he treats his brother in Christ. Philemon will feel the pressure to forgive. A positive peer pressure. But can I say that it's not just a a spiritual accountability from spiritual leaders in our churches. Which, would you agree with me, accountability is something that's needed in the church today? Yes or no? We need people that'll see things in our life. That'll be willing to speak the truth to us. The second group of people is other believers need to hold us accountable. We're a part of a fellowship with other believers. Look at what he says in verses 23 and 24. There salute the Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. Now he lists out five men that let me mention, by the way, these are all men that Philemon knows already. He already has a relationship established with them. And what Paul is saying is that if you choose not to forgive, you're going to mess up the fellowship that not only they have with you, Philemon, but the fellowship that they have with who? With Onesimus as well. It's going to create a division. Now, I know we recently, we went over who these, four, who these men were, but let me just briefly go through it. Epaphras was uh, probably the pastor at the church of Colossae. Now understand that church met inside Philemon's house. He was a man of prayer that prayed for his church folks that they would grow to spiritual maturity. He was a very powerful pastor. The next guy, John Mark, you know who John Mark was, Marcus. He was the one that abandoned Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary trip. They come back and What, Barnabas wants to take him on the trip, but Paul's like, no way, he he already abandoned us once, he's not burning us twice. But you remember that he was probably restored by Peter. If you look in 1 Peter, he he talks about how valuable Marcus was to him and how he had restored him. The third person was Aristarchus. He was a fellow laborer. This is a man that had traveled with Paul and actually sat in prison with him. While he was... You imagine how difficult it would be to sit in prison? Well, the whole reason why Aristarchus would sit with him was because he knew what it was like to sit in prison. He had sat in prison in Ephesus before. And so he wanted to encourage Paul. The next person, Demas, we know he's the one that he forsake Paul later, he's because he loved the world. The next person, Luke, he was a Gentile doctor. He wrote the third gospel. He also wrote the, the book of Acts. We know that because there was many times where he wrote the word we his name was written right at the beginning of the book. These are all people that listen, they're a part of a what? They're a part of a fellowship. We need people that are going to hold us up spiritually and will be able to speak into our life. You can't live your life in isolation. And here's the problem, in our day and age, and in most churches around America, we have become very, what, self-centered believers. In social media, and all the things that we have in our society, we have become very individualistic, have we not? We live our lives separated from other people, we talk more, we text more, but we have less closer relationships than we've ever had before. True or false? False. And what he's saying is that you are called into a fellowship, a group of people that will hold you accountable to all that Christ has called you to be. There should be a Christian community that pushes us to be all that Christ called us to be. Now I can remember several years back, I used to like to watch this show named JAG. Anybody ever watched JAG before? It means Judge Advocate General. And basically what the show was about, it was a Navy lawyer who used to be a fighter pilot. And during the course of the show's run, Harm, this Navy lawyer, he went back to flying Navy fighter jets, okay? And one of the things that they would say while they were up in the air, and while they were flying, they would say, I got your six. Now, when they said that statement, I got your six, they referred to the six o'clock position, of the fighter which was directly behind them. You see, every fighter pilot knows that he has a, what? A blind spot. There's spots that he can't see that other people can. The pilot could not see behind him, and so he was dependent on somebody else to watch his six. You know that that's the same truth, the same principle in the Christian life? There are positions that we can't see. We might call them blind spots. And we need brothers and, and, and sisters in Christ that will do what? That will hold us accountable. They'll watch our blind spots. And they'll be willing to confront us when what? When we've done something that's against God's word. And in our day and age, we need that accountability. And that is a motivation. As we are going to forgive other people, what do we have to do? We have to live inside of a fellowship of a group of believers That'll do what? That'll keep us accountable. Can I say that uh, there's a whole lot of churches that don't have that? You know, we see a lot of things that happen in other people's life, but we're never willing to do the work of coming alongside of them and encouraging them in their walk with Christ to do the right thing. You see, I'm convinced that that's one of the powerful things the early church had, right? Right? people that were committed to following after Christ, so much so that they would push each other on in their walk, they were willing to be accountable to other people. We need that. Let's look at this last thing. The last motivation is this. Recognize that I must be empowered by the grace of God. Look at verse 25 and we'll close. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Paul's final words are very rich. This is the last thing he says to him. It's like the reminding him that if you're going to forgive, you're going to need the grace of Jesus Christ to do it. Can I say that uh, if you're going to try to forgive somebody and you're going to do it in your own strength, hey, you have zero chance of accomplishing that. You're going to need some grace in your life. But the good thing is, is that God offers you more grace than you can handle. It takes a whole lot of grace. Our nature isn't to forgive offenses. And Paul's final prayer for Philemon is this, that God would give grace to him to forgive. It's not humanly possible. The flesh wants vengeance, but Christ calls you to forgive. The same grace that allowed Christ to forgive you it's the same grace that Paul says it, it's required of every person that's going to choose to forgive. So here's the question. Did Philemon choose to forgive Onesimus? What do you think? We don't have a, a, an account in the Bible, but I'll say this. Bible scholars agree that this book like probably wouldn't be in the New Testament canon if he had chosen not to forgive. Reason why? Why would they give credit to a person that acted contrary to Christ's command? They would never lift up a person that was not going to be obedient to Christ's call to forgive. And here's another account. When we look in, uh, in church history, we find this incredible thing. Is that one of the early church fathers, they said that there was a man by the name of Onesimus that was the pastor at the church of Ephesus which would have been 100 miles away from the church at Colossae. What do you think that means? It's very possible that what had happened was is that when he came back, he was forgiven. Not only that, but Philemon took the opportunity to allow God to use this man in ministry. Not only did he forgive him, but he gave him more than forgiveness. He allowed him to be used by God to reach other people for Jesus Christ. Is that not a model of the gospel? Forgiveness is really powerful. It impacts people's lives. I want to close with this last story. On December 7, 1941, it was a cloudless Sunday in in the state of Hawaii. The Japanese hit Pearl Harbor in two hours. 2,403 Americans were dead. 1,178 were wounded. 169 U.S. aircrafts were totally destroyed. Three of their ships were sunk. 18 others were damaged. This attack was led by a 39 year old Japanese pilot by the name of Mitsuo Fushida. He led 183 other airplanes into the harbor that killed thousands and thousands of Americans. This man, his name came up many times throughout history. His plane was shot several times, but he survived it. After the war, Fuchida, he became a recluse. He lived in his house. His mind was disturbed by all the memories of death that he had seen in war. But he decided that he was going to focus on the problem of peace throughout the world. He wanted to do something to make up for all the people he had killed in his lifetime. He wanted to write a book entitled, No More Pearl Harbors, where he would encourage the world to pursue peace and to make things right with each other. But he couldn't find a principle. He said there was no religions in in Japan, there was no philosophies in the world that could offer a way to reconcile people back together. One day he heard a story about a lieutenant in the Japanese army that was arrested by the U.S. soldiers. He was placed in a POW camp in America. And when that man came back to Japan, he interviewed him and he asked him, how is it that you've chosen to forgive the Americans? And he said, well, I was treated very kindly when I was at a POW camp. He said, tell me more. He said, well, actually my life was changed there. Because at the POW camp that I was at, there was a young American girl by the name of Peggy. She came to camp on a regular basis and She did everything that she could for the soldiers. She served them food. She served them water. She brought them magazines and other items that they couldn't get. She looked after the sick, and when they asked her why she helped the Japanese soldiers, this is what she said. Because my parents were killed by the Japanese in the Philippine Islands. They said, in their society, in Japanese society, it's There's no greater offense than the murder of one's parents. They said, how in the world could you serve us food and drinks after we killed your parents? Peggy explained that her parents were missionaries in the Philippines. That they had the opportunity to leave, but they chose to stay so that they could win more Filipinos to Christ. And they even had the goal that they could present the gospel to these Japanese soldiers. As they were fleeing from the city that they were in, the Japanese soldiers caught back up with their parents. They arrested them, they accused them of being American spies, and they executed them. Peggy said, for many years, I struggled with bitterness towards the Japanese for what they did to my parents. But then I remembered that my parents, they chose to stay. They probably had the, the forgiveness They had an attitude of forgiveness towards these people that had killed him. If they chose to forgive the Japanese, why couldn't I forgive them? So she said that she chose to serve the Japanese to choose the path of forgiveness. When Fuchida heard this story, it impacted his life. He had never heard anything like it. Later, Fuchida was walking in a a train station, and somebody gave him a booklet about a American soldier named Jake DeShazer. Jake DeShazer had been spent forty months in a Japanese POW camp where he was tortured unceasingly. As at one point he thought that he was just going to go completely crazy in the prison. But one day, a Japanese soldier who happened to be a Christian had a Bible in his pocket and brought it and gave it to Jake. And inside the prison cell, on June 8, 1944, DeShazer put his faith in Jesus Christ. When that happened, he made a vow to Christ that when I get free, I'm going to go back to Japan and I'm going to witness to the people that used to be my enemy. When Fujita read the testimony of this American man that came back to Japan as a missionary... Later, Fuchida bought a Bible, began to read it. He read Luke uh, Luke chapter 23 and where it says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He bowed his head and he trusted Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. He wrote the book later on from Pearl Harbor to Golgotha. Forgiveness has the power to affect the whole world. He said as a result of the forgiveness of these believers in Christ, he came to faith in Jesus Christ. This man became an evangelist that led thousands and thousands of Japanese to faith in Jesus Christ. All because of what? Because believers chose to forgive their enemy and they put their pride to the side and they humbled themselves and they chose to forgive. And can I say that we as believers, we're called to do the very same thing. Forgiveness models the gospel to the world. That's what Christ calls us to. I want us to just take this moment just to bow our heads and close close our eyes. I'm sure in a room this size, there's many of us that maybe we're struggling with somebody, some bitterness that we have towards someone. Maybe there's been a situation that's happened. You know that there's something not right between you and somebody else. How many of you would just buy